If you would turn to Genesis 49. It's been several weeks since we've been in this teaching. And um, I was teaching on the tribes and the names of the tribes and the functions of the tribes. And, and uh, we're going to continue the second part of that. If you don't remember the first part, well, <laughs> go onto our archives on, on the website and find it. Because I don't even remember the first part. No, I'm just, <laughs> I do. But it was, it's been a while because we had the feasts and we had an awesome time during the feasts and stuff. But turn to Genesis chapter 49. And um, we're going to be talking about the stones of righteousness, the tribes. And uh, we've got a picture of the, um, do you have that um, picture of the, uh, the priest? So we can look at that a guy again, Mike. Mike does such an awesome job. He really does. We're so appreciative of Mike. And I throw a wrench into the works every week for him. So um, that's all right. We'll, we'll get to that if you can't get it now. Okay. But, but even before we get to that, I, I want to, I kind of want to read a couple of verses. At the beginning of Genesis chapter 49, and it's all right, Mike, if you don't have those verses. Because um, I didn't send them to you. But it says, Jacob called his sons and said to them, Gather together so that I can tell you what will happen to you in the last days. What will happen to you in the last days? Be assembled and listen, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So we know that there is a transition that is getting ready to take place. Jacob knows that he's getting ready to go to be with his fathers. He's getting ready to die. And he's blessing his sons. And this is a very Hebrew thing to do. But he also realizes, you know, there is a transition that is taking place. Jacob remembered his grandfather, Abraham, and then, of course, his father, Isaac, Isaac. Now Jacob with the 12 sons who represent the 12 tribes. And here we go. Here's the high priest. And, and you know when the high priest, and this is the garments that he had on when he would go into the Holy of Holies. And as you see on his breastplate, there's 12 stones. And you can't see it from here, but also on his epaulets, on his shoulders, there's six on each side, stones, representing the tribes the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. So whenever he would go in, his heart would carry the tribes of Israel before the ark of the presence of the Lord. And then the father would look down upon his shoulders and he would be carrying the tribes, the sons of Jacob, on his shoulders. So it's not just a, a random thing. There's actually function in even the high priest's clothing. So there's a transition. What is this transition about? What are we, what are we transitioning? What are the people, what are the, the sons transitioning into? And, and, and let's bring it to home. What, what do we need to, what are we grafted into? And this is what I want to get to is, is, you know, we could study this and just say, well, this is what God was doing with the tribes of Israel. But I want us to understand this is that we can glean something for our own lives as we look at the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. What are we grafted into? We all say, well, we're grafted into the olive tree. We are. That's, that's true. That's scripture. 
That doesn't make me Jewish. Well, I am Jewish. I'm going to take that back. It makes me Jewish. I am Jewish. But I had to be regrafted in. But being grafted into the olive tree doesn't make you Jewish. But you're grafted into the tribes and even the names of and the functions of the tribes. And there's a part of Israel because we're all part of Abraham that we're grafted into. We're also grafted into the covenants. The covenants that were given to Israel become ours. They're ours. And the characteristics of each tribe, and that's what we've been looking at, the characteristics of each tribe. But even more importantly than the characteristics of the sons or the tribes of Jacob is the redemption that God, through Jacob, spoke to the tribes that we are also grafted into. There's a redemption that we can learn from the tribes. Because we all know Jacob's family, in a word, was dysfunctional. There were some severe... Don't roll your eyes like... I was like, surprise? Really? But it's in the Bible. It couldn't be. There was all kinds of issues in among the brothers, jealousies and betrayals. and We all know that. But yet Jacob, coming to the end of his life, says, he knows the transition. There's a transition taking place. He's now transitioning. It's, we're transitioning from the patriarchs now to the tribes. We're going to look at their names and their meanings and their prophetic, the prophetic redemption that we can get from the tribes. And so, um, Mike, do you, do you have the, the first six tribes that we looked at a few weeks ago? Let's go to them right now. Let's just show them. <clears throat> this is, uh, oh, that's beautiful. That's a, I love that picture. But we looked at the six tribes, the first six tribes, and we're just going in order of what's, what's laid out in Genesis chapter 14. Actually, Mike, if you can just go to the, um, don't worry about them. Okay, don't worry about them. But what we're going to do today is we're going to start in verse 16 of Genesis 49. Okay, those are the first six tribes, or the first six sons, Reuben. Shimon, Levi, Judah, Zebulon, Issachar. Okay, that's what we looked at several weeks ago. So you can go on our website and go to our archive and get that sermon on those six tribes. Okay, and this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Dan, God, Asher, Naphtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. So starting in verse 16. Dan will judge his peoples. As one of the tribes of Israel, let Dan be a serpent beside the road, a viper beside a path, who strikes a horse's heel so that its rider falls backward. For your salvation I wait, Adonai. Jacob is, this is Jacob's fifth son, Dan, born to Rachel's handmaid named Bilhah. And so this is where some of the dysfunction is. Up to this point, Leah has been the, 
the one that's brought the sons. And we know that Rachel is the favorite of Jacob, but she's been barren. There's, and barrenness in that day was a reproach. Okay, so there's this, this battle going on between Leah and Rachel, but not just between those two ladies, but between their handmaids. In this case, we see a shift taking place is that Rachel uses her handmaid Bilhah and conceives, and so Dan is born. It's kind of a frustration that Rachel is having because she's been barren, and, and she loves her husband, and her husband loves her. And this is a huge thing back in the day. But let's look at this son. The name Dan literally means judge. It means judge. So the name Daniel, Daniel means the judge of God, Daniel. And it says, it's, it's an interesting, and I struggled with this all week as I've looked at this. It says, let Dan be a serpent beside a road. My first thing is, that's not good. Serpent is not good. What is he talking about here? A viper beside a path. Viper's not good. Who strikes a horse's heel so that it rides, rider falls backwards. But if you look through the scriptures, that actually the meaning of serpent or viper in scripture is fertility, supernatural, div um, divine, wisdom, benevolent, or deadly. All of those. So there's a lot in that word. Dan is called to be a judge of the tribes. As a matter of fact, have you heard the term, if you've been in Messianic, the Messianic movement, there's a, it's called Beit Din, which is a house of judgment. When there's an issue that arises, um, you'd be surprised. There sometimes there are issues that arise in the Messianic movement quiet here. That was a joke. It's called a Beit Din or the bait, the house of judgment. And it, the serpent is either like be like the serpent or you will keep your heel on the serpent. For your salvation I wait, it says. So what's the redemption? There's a, he's got a, a mantle, the tribe of Dan has the mantle of judge on him, on him. And there's a redemption in this tribe. Let his redeeming sword separate soul from spirit. See, we all judge. Let's use another word, discern. We all discern things. God has given us the ability to discern right from wrong, good from evil, Life from death. He's, we have to be able to be that judge, that discerner. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing right through to a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The spirit in us is able to separate between soulish thoughts and the thoughts of God. So we all have that ability. 
And that's what we need to redeem. Some of us have lost that ability. And especially in these days, we need to serve in these crazy days. And we cannot judge by outward experiences or outward circumstances, but what is the Spirit revealing to us? And I say this a lot. Is to be a judge is not to judge people on their character deficits. It's to judge situations and circumstances based on what God is saying. And we have the Spirit living in us to discern what is, what is from Him and what is not. Don't judge by outward circumstances. So that's the redemption that we can all walk in from the tribe of Dan. And then we go to the tribe of Gad in verse 19. Genesis 49 verse 19, it says, Gad, attackers will attack him, but he will attack their heels. Short verse. This is the blessing over God. And this is Jacob's seventh son. It's a little bit out of order, but this is how he blesses the sons. It's his seventh son. And this is, again, this is Leah, her maidservant, Zilpah. So here we see that, that uh, competition is still going on. The word gad itself means how fortunate. How fortunate. Now, in that short verse, we see that it, there's something to do with warfare here. It's a, it's a warring tribe. It says here, it says that um, attackers will attack him, but he will attack their heels. It's a raiding troop will come and shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels and he will be victorious. He will be victorious. So the redemption that we can have for us, since we're grafted into this, is that we need to learn how to raid the enemy's camp. Because he's coming after us. How many have ever felt invaded, trespassed by the enemy? Okay? But it's time for us to raid his enemy camp, plunder him, so that we're not plundered. What do I mean by that? We need to take back spiritual territory that has been yielded to the enemy in our personal lives, in our families, in our ministries, in our businesses, in our homes. We have the ability, like Kent was talking about in the Taurus portion today. That spirit is in us. We have power and we have authority. But we can't let it be dormant. It has to be exercised. It means that we have to, first of all, walk the way Yeshua would want us to. Walk in righteousness. Get rid of sin and iniquity in our lives. But then start appropriating the power and authority that God has given us. And to take back, take back the territory that's been lost in your families, in your ministries, your calling. Be relentless in spiritual warfare. I, I'm a warrior. I'm a spiritual warrior. I want Or Chaim to be known as a congregation of spiritual warriors. And I'm learning this. I'm not there. I'm learning to be a warrior because I love my family, because I love this country, and I love what God wants to do. I want to see his purposes. And so we need to war for those things. If you look through the scriptures, the Tanakh, you see a lot of warfare going on. God shows us that, you know, peace is not the absence of conflict. Shalom is not, the abs is not just absence of conflict. 
It's deeper than that. It's well-being. It's, it, there, and there could be warfare along with that, but you could still be at peace. Does that make sense? Don't falter when the attacks come. You know, when the attack first comes, and when I say that, I'm speaking to myself on this, there is a tendency to go, whoa. Whew. You know, it's like being punched in the stomach and you lose your breath and you kind of lose your equilibrium, you know. But then you, you, you say, okay, wait a minute. I've just been attacked. Don't falter. Get back up. Stand your ground. Saying, God, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this battle? See, whatever battle you're in right now, God is trying to teach you something about himself and about us. There's nothing that's random that's happening. So be an attacker. Take back what the enemy has stolen. The next tribe that we look at is Asher. Verse 20. Asher. Rich is his food. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. I like that. And see, that's all it says about, but there's something about this is that he, Asher actually means happy. Okay? So every community needs an Asher, right? We need happy people. But it's more than that is that every community needs a provider. He's a provider. He provides good food. I like that. I'm hanging with Asher. <laughs> and then we go to the tribe of Naphtali in verse 21. I'm going through this quickly. We're not doing an in-depth study but I, because I want to spend more time when we were looking at Joseph and his two sons. Naphtali, it says in verse 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose who offers words of beauty. Now, this is poetry to a lot of us. And I was never really into poetry. So when you read these words, you go, eh, I don't really, you know. But there's just something about this that we need to look at. A doe let loose. That's ex actually what Naphtali means, a doe let loose. Have you seen a doe run through the, the, the fields? It's just awesome. The other day we were coming home. Millie and I were driving and we were coming up to our street. And it wasn't a doe, but it was a whole herd of elk crossing the street. And it's just, and some of them were running. The little ones, there was little ones, and they were running. And it's just some, something so gracious in their running. They weren't does. I don't know what you call a baby elk. They're a baby elk. <laughs> a puppy, I don't know. A kitten, I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, but his gifting, it talks about who offers words of beauty. His gifting is to provide words of beauty. He's a communicator. So let's look at the tribe of Naphtali, Naphtali and what we can, what can be redeemed in us is he's a communicator. The words that we use, we either build up or we tear down. We are grafted into this. And it's interesting because we did a little research when we were living in Israel and I don't know what tribe I'm really from. I really don't. But we did some research, and Naphtali is kind of up in the Galilee, kind of northern Israel area. And because of my names, not just Lieberman, but because of Herzog, which is my um, grandfather's name, we did some research, and, and 
there's a possibility I come from this tribe, the tribe of Naphtali. Now, I'm not going around saying, oh, I'm, the, I'm a Naphtalian, whatever you call us. But there's good evidence that there could be, I'm from that tribe. It, and, and so there's a gift that I have of communicating, okay? I'm not very, I, I'm working on it. I'm getting better, hopefully, but to be a communicator. But all of us have the ability to communicate, to either build up or to tear down. We're grafted into this. Use the words that God speaks to you. Words have power. And that's what I was so appreciative of what Ken shared. Words are powerful to bless or to curse. What are we using them for? I've been impressed so recently just about our words will bring life or death. We are in the decade of the pe, mouth, the mouth, pe. Not just words that we speak to one another, which are important enough. How we speak to one another as brothers and sisters. But how are we speaking over, about our leaders, about other believers, even those believers that we don't agree with? What are the words that we speak? I watch the news less than I used to because I found myself interacting with the talking heads. <laughs> Putting in my editorial. It's not good, but you know what? My opinion, you know what they say about opinions. Everybody has them, right? There's other things they say we won't go there. <laughs> but I just, <laughs> I said, we're not going to go there. But, you know, <clears throat> I, I so appreciate the ministry of Bill Bullock, who he, you know, he doesn't like to get involved with all of the arguments that are going on in the body. He's like, what is the Father saying? How are we, how are we to respond in situations? We're to be different than everybody else. Sure, I've got an opinion, and my opinions are almost usually 100% correct. <laughs> you guys know me. I'm, but, you know, I, you know, some of my opinions probably are right. Some aren't. But how are we speaking, not just to one another when we're with somebody, but how are we speaking about others that we may not know or we may disagree with? Words have power. Okay, now we're going to look at Yosef, and I love this. So let's read these verses in 22 through 26. A fruitful son is Joseph, a fruitful son being a, beside a spring. Daughters walk along a wall. The archers were bitter and shot arrows and were hostile towards him. Yet his bow was always filled and his arms quick moving by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there a shepherd, the stone of Israel. I love that, the stone of Israel. From the God of your father who helps you and Eshadai who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of breasts and womb. The blessings of your father surpass the blessings of the ancient mountains, the desire of the everlasting hills, May they be upon Joseph's head, upon the crown of the one set apart from his brothers. Now, as you read this, it's different than the others. It's more specific. It's more in-depth. It's, it's positive. 
Also read about Judah. You know, remember we, we shared about Judah. There's a big, long blessing on him and also on Joseph. But there's something of Jacob's heart that we see here as he blesses his son. This is, this is Jacob's 11th son, but this is the long-awaited conception with Rachel, who is Jacob's, this is Jacob's heart's desire has always been Rachel. And this is his first son from Rachel. There's an incredible anointing upon Joseph. There's an incredible, there's incredible promises that Jacob speaks out over him and that we've already seen in his life. It says he's a fruitful bough. He's, he's faithful and fruitful. The name actually Joseph means may he add. And what an appropriate name for Joseph. May he add. Think about when he was in Egypt and there was famine. Life was provided not just to the children of Israel, but to Egypt and the whole world would come for food. May he add. In many ways, Jacob's, or Joseph is Jacob's favorite. He makes no bones about it. Actually, if you look in Genesis chapter 37... It says in verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved, Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of the other sons. This is why there's so much dysfunction in the family, because all the other brothers knew God's favorite. Oh, he's, it's Joseph, his, his, his dad's favorite. How would you feel, Kent? Seriously, how would you feel? You know, it was just like, mm, let's do something about it. Yeah, there's some issues there, you know. So, and then it goes on, it's because he was the son of his old age. Jacob, we all, we see so much in Jacob's life and how much he went through and, you know, he was deceived and he did this and he did that and, and, and we all know all of his life, but now he's older and he's wiser and, and he can look back over his life and then this comes his, his son from his favorite wife. So he had made him, goes on to read, and so he had made him a long sleeve tunic when his brother's saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers that hated him and could not speak to him in shalom. See, like Judah, there's Jacob's blessing over Joseph is very, very positive and incredibly specific. The arrows, talks about, tried to take him out. Those arrows were his own brothers, Potiphar's wife. They tried to take Joseph out. They tried to kill Joseph. And yet he's set apart from all of his other brothers. He's my favorite character. I love Joseph. And it's interesting because if you look at the tribes of Israel, is there a tribe named Joseph? Nope. Well, wait a minute. Why not? Well, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I know you're all in suspense. Actually, he gets a double blessing because his two sons have tribes named after him. So the redemption as we look at Joseph is, and there's so much we can glean from his life, and this is what I want us to, to look at in Joseph's life, is to be a blessing in spite of whatever circumstances life throws at you. You can still be a blessing, but we have to have a mindset a kingdom mindset. I don't know how Joseph did it. He had a kingdom mindset. Even in the midst of a prison, he would say, he would acknowledge God. Never blamed God. 
didn't even blame his brothers. There was a kingdom mindset. Blessing, so he can be a blessing in spite of his circumstances because God spoke to him as a young man through dreams. And so he held on to those dreams. They propelled him into his destiny. And that could be true for all of us. If we've had dreams prophetically that God has spoken to us, you hold on to them because God is faithful and he will bring you into the to that destiny that, I, that he called you to. So he must have held on to those dreams in spite of whatever circumstances. And I'm going to, real quickly, four specific circumstances that Joseph was in, but he was still able to be a blessing. He was in the pit. His brothers threw him in the pit. That's rejection. Your own brothers, your own family rejects you. Talk about rejection. But what did he do in the midst of rejection? We don't see evidence of him becoming bitter. But then he was sold as a slave, and he went into Egypt, and he was sold into Potiphar's house. And actually, it was a kind of a good gig. He had a pretty good gig there, except for there was a problem. There was a problem. Potiphar's wife, who was after Joseph. And, and so this is another circumstance that he's in. You know, he, with every day, you know, he says that, you know, she was relentless in her going. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It was relentless, her going after Joseph. And then false accusation comes. He tried to do this. He tried to rape me and humiliate me. Had anybody been accused falsely before of something? You just want to defend yourself. You want to just prove to, that you didn't do what you're accused of doing. And yet, he went into prison. And then he's in prison, and he works his way up. There's still the blessing of God is on him, even in the midst of prison. He becomes, you know, pretty close to the jailer, and, and everything's, you know, he's, he's doing well in there. And then two guys get released, and said to Joseph, and Joseph said, don't forget me. Don't forget me. And certainly, what, what did they do? What did he do? What was it, the cupbearer? Was it the cupbearer? He forgot about him for two years. I would be angry. I'd be, man, I'm like, I'm going to get that dude. <laughs> two years forgotten. Anybody here feel forgotten? But yet, we don't see bitterness and resentment in Joseph in that being forgotten in prison. And finally, in the palace. And you think, well, he's finally reached... Whew, the, the epitome. He's, he's reached the pinnacle of his success and now all the stuff that he went through. But you know what? There's challenges even in leadership. There's challenges even in the palace. What do I do in the place of authority? Now I can go after all those guys that did this to me. In the, nope. Nope, there wasn't any of that. He's saying, God, you've placed me here. What do you want me to do? How can I be a blessing to other people? So we see this in Joseph's life. That's how we need to look at our own lives and say, how can I be a blessing no matter what my circumstances are? And all of us can say, you know what? We've been rejected. We've been falsely accused. We've been forgotten. And we may even have been in a place of leadership and authority. And God can use us no matter what we've gone through in order to bless others. There's so much more in Joseph, but I just wanted to kind of lay that out. We're getting towards the end here, and we're going to look at Benjamin real quick in verse 27. 
Benjamin is a ravening wolf, ravening wolf. In the morning, he devours spoils, and in the evening, divides plunder. That's all it says about Benjamin. This is Rachel's second. So now we see that Jacob and Rachel, they're on a roll. But they're getting up there in age. This is the youngest of the sons. And Benjamin actually means son of my right hand or the strength of my right hand. The strength of my right hand. He would tear prey into pieces. And you know, it's interesting because I, I see the tribe of Benjamin and I see that working in Israel today in the sense that God brought them back into that land and they're not going to give that land up no matter what. The prey comes after them. They will go after them. They will not cease. But there's also something else in here. And out of the tribe of Benjamin, who else is from the tribe of Benjamin? Rav Shaul. And it's interesting. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel. From the tribe of Benjamin. One of the, the smallest tribes, but was an elite tribe, very well associated with Judah, as a matter of fact. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the Torah, a Pharisee for as for zeal, persecuting Messiah's community, and as for Torah's righteousness, found blameless. But then Paul goes on, and this should be our heart too. Paul, I love what he says here. I consider these loss. All of those things that listed who he was just because of being a, from Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, righteous. He says, all of that I consider lost for the sake of the Messiah. All things are lost compared to, surprise, to the surpassing value of knowing the Messiah. There's a tenaciousness in the tribe of Benjamin. God wants that redeemed in us to be tenacious, that I I'm going to go after the Lord no matter what it costs me. That's Benjamin. Now, we're going to look at Manasseh and Ephraim. So, turn to... Thank you, whoever. I will read that. But as we go to Genesis chapter 40, I'm going to read these verses. We're, we're good. Starting in verse 8. We'll close with this. So if you can get ready, um, Tammy. Starting in verse 8. <clears throat> then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They're my sons, whom God has given me here in Egypt. Then he said, Please bring them to me, so I may bless them. So not only did Jacob bless his sons, now he's blessing his grandsons. But in fact, he basically says, now these are my sons. Interesting. Verse 10, now Israel's eyes had grown heavy with old age. He could not see. So he brought them near to him and he kissed them and hugged them. Then Israel said to Joseph, to see your face, I didn't ever expect. And look, God has let me see your offspring as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face towards the, to the ground. Then Joseph took the two of them, Ephraim with his right hand, across from Israel, from Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand across from Israel's right, kind of like this, and brought them close to him. 
But Israel stretched out his hand, right hand and placed it upon Ephraim's head. The right hand is the blessing of the firstborn son. Ephraim's not the firstborn son. It's Manasseh. What does this remind you of? Think back to Jacob, Esau, their father. There was a little bit of chicanery going on there, let's just say. Okay? Then God, whom my father's ape, uh, then he blessed Joseph and said, the God whom before, did I skip something here? But Israel stretched out his right hand and placed it upon Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has shepherded me through my, throughout my life to this day, the angel who redeemed me from all evil, may he bless these boys, and may they be called by my name. He basically takes them as his own. And by the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they multiply to a multitude in the midst of the land. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand upon Ephraim's head, it was wrong in his eyes. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, not like that, my father, because this one's the firstborn. Put your right hand upon his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will become great. But his younger brother will become greater than he, and the seed will be the fullness of the nations. Then he blessed them that day, saying in that, and you shall, in you shall Israel bless by saying, may God make you like Ephraim and like Manasseh. And that's where we see that blessing over our sons every week. Manasseh literally means, and this is the firstborn son, I will forget. It actually literally means God causes me to forget. Cause to forget. Forget what? The pain of the betrayal. Joseph named his son. Every time he looked at his son, he says, God causes me to forget the pain of the betrayal, the rejection of the past. Question, do we really forget? Is it possible for us to forget? As far as I know, only God can forget. He doesn't forget because he doesn't have a memory. He chooses to forget. But we don't forget those things that happened. And this is a struggle that a lot, a lot of people have in forgiveness. They equate forgiveness to forgetting the pain. No. The event, the circumstances were still there. But as we forgive God's grace, through God's grace, we see our past in a kingdom perspective. We don't forget, but now the sting of the past is no longer there. That's the difference. So his firstborn, his firstborn son is, I will forget. Secondborn, Ephraim, means fruitful. Fruitful literally means fruitful in the land of my afflictions. In other words, we need to let go of the past and move into our destiny. Forget the pain of the, for, of the past through forgiveness so that we can effectively move into our destiny. To be fruitful and walk in destiny, we must deal with the past through forgiveness. 
So in other words, if you really want to walk into the destiny and redeem the destiny that God has for you, deal with things from the past. I was talking with somebody in my family just the other day. And there was an issue with somebody else in my family. Huge issue. Huge issue. Five from five years ago. And we've been talking to them both about forgiveness. But they're not necessarily coming from a kingdom perspective. And so they're thinking, I can't forget what they did. No, it's not about forgetting. Forgiveness is choosing to forgive somebody, to forgive, to cancel a debt that somebody owed you. That's what it is. I said, the memory's there. You're going to remember that. But as you forgive, the sting will be less. Would you stand with me? This is what God wants us to do. We've been talking about how God has shaken everything. He's, he's awakening his bride so that we can walk into what he's called us to do. And part of that is to get rid of the stuff that's hindering us. Unforgiveness from the past. Things that people did betrayed you, rejected you. God has said, don't hold on to that. We hold on to those things. We become bitter and our witness is ineffective. God says, deal with those things because I have a destiny for you, a fruitfulness that is incredible. I want you to walk into Ephraim, fruitfulness. But deal with the pain of the past, Menashe, so that you can walk effectively into Ephraim. So in conclusion, what's in a name? A whole lot function, our identity. You see, when we're grafted into Yeshua, He becomes our identity. He becomes, He's in us and we're in Him. I can spend hours and hours trying to explain that and never get it right. But He's, we become in Him. We become part of Him. That's our identity at it forms our identity. We need to embrace that and step into the redemption of our true identity. Walk in healing. Walk in forgiveness. That's the crossing over when we started talking about the tribes and started talking about Abraham. Crossing over into the promises that God's given us. Walk in his calling. Discovering our identity. And discovering our identity is just not a one-time thing. Oh, I found out who I am. It's a gradual, it's a process that God begins to show you more of who he is, and in that you know more of who you are. So in closing, I just want to pray a blessing over us that we would walk in fruitfulness, but it requires that we deal with the past hurts and betrayals. Avino Machino, our Father and our King, we thank you, Lord God, for the examples that we see in the scriptures and the names. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that each of us has a name. Yes, you, we might have a name that our parents gave us, but we also have a name that's between you and us. And God, that we would walk into our destiny as we understand our identity in you. Yes. And Lord, and I pray for those who are struggling with things that have gone on, people in the past who've hurt you, betrayed you,
turned on you, accused you falsely, forgot about you, whatever it may be, God is saying, choose to cancel the debt. Choose to cancel the debt. That's our choice. That's forgiveness. And walk free of that. And God will heal the heart. You won't forget the experience or the circumstance, but the sting of the past won't be there because God desires fruitfulness from each of us. So bless us. Bless us, Lord, and as we walk through this in Yeshua's name. Amen. And as I mentioned earlier, tithes and offerings, we have the box in the back. Just 